Baseball, how to become a player. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Baseball, how to become a player by John Montgomery Ward. Chapter 14, Curve Pitching. Curve pitching is a scientific fact, the practice of which precedes the discovery of its principle. For a long time after its existence was familiar to every ball player and spectator of the game, there were wise men who proclaimed its impossibility, who declared it to be simply an optical illusion, and its believers the victims of the pitcher's trickery. It was only after the curve had been practically demonstrated to them, in a way which left no room for doubt, that they consented to find for it a scientific explanation. The discovery of the curve itself was purely an accident. During the years from 1866 to 1869, the theory was held by many pitchers that the more twist imparted to a pitched ball, the more difficult it was to be hit straight out. It was thought that even if it was struck fairly, the twist would throw it off at an angle to the swing of the bat. One writer on the game declared strongly against this practice of the pitchers on the ground that, though this twist did do all that was claimed for it, at the same time caused the ball, when hit, to bound badly, and thus interfered with good fielding. Of course, both of these theories became absurd in the light of the present, but it was doubtless the belief in the former that led to the introduction of the curve. In 1869, Arthur Cummings, pitching for the Star Club, noticed that by giving a certain twist to the ball, it was made to describe a rising outward curve, and his remarkable success with the new delivery soon led to its imitation by other pitchers, and finally to the general introduction of curve pitching. The philosophy of the curve is, in itself, quite simple. A ball is thrown through the air and, at the same time, given a rotary motion upon its own axis, so that the resistance of the air to its forward motion is greater upon one point than upon another, and the result is a movement of the ball away from the retarded side. Suppose the ball in the accompanying cut to be moving in the direction of the arrow B, C, at the rate of 100 feet per second. Suppose also that it is rotating about its vertical axis, E, in the direction of I to H, so that any point of its circumference, IHD, is moving at the same rate of 100 feet per second. The point I is therefore moving forward at the same rate as the ball's centre of gravity, that is, 100 feet per second, plus the rate of its own revolution, which is 100 feet more, or 200 feet per second. But the point D, moving forward with the ball at a rate of 100 feet per second, is moving backward at the rate of rotation, which is 100 feet per second, so that the forward motion of the point D is practically zero. At point I, therefore, the resistance to the point moving 200 feet per second, while at D is zero, and the tendency of the ball being to avoid the greatest resistance, it is deflected in the direction of F. In the Scientific American of August 28, 1886, a correspondent gave a very explicit demonstration of the theory of the curve, and, as it has the virtue of being more scientific than the one given above, I append it in full. Let figure 3 represent a ball moving through the air in the direction of the arrow BK, and at the same time revolving about its vertical axis U in the direction of the curved arrow C. Let AAA represent the retarding action of the air acting on different points of the forward half or face of the ball. The rotary motion C generates a current of air about the periphery of the ball, a current similar to that caused by the revolving flywheel of a steam engine. If now, at a point on the face of the ball, we let the arrow R represent the direction and intensity of this rotary current of air, and if at the same point we let the arrow A 
represent the direction and intensity of the retarding action of the air, then we will find by constructing a parallelogram of forces that the resultant or combined effect of these two currents acts in the direction indicated by the dotted arrow T. In other words, we have a sort of compression or force of air acting on the face of the ball in the direction indicated by the arrow T. This force, as we can readily see, tends, when combined with the original impetus given to the ball, to deflect or cause time ball to curve in the direction of the dotted line, BP, instead of maintaining its right line direction, BK. If the ball rotate about its vertical axis in the opposite direction, the curve BN will be the result. To the above demonstrations, it is only necessary to add an explanation of one other feature. The question has arisen, why is it the ball apparently goes a part of its course in a straight line, and then turns abruptly? One might suppose at first thought, greater speed at the beginning would create greater resistance, and consequently cause the greatest deflection. This, however, is not true. The difference between the resistance upon opposite points of the ball in the circumference of its rotation always remains the same, no matter how great the force of propulsion and therefore the increased force of the latter at the beginning has no effect on the curve. But while the force of the twist itself is not affected by the rate of the forward movement, its effect upon the ball is greatly nullified. The force of the propulsion being so great at first drives the ball through the air and prevents it from being influenced by the unequal resistance. It is only when the two forces approach one another in strength that the latter begins to have a perceptible effect. As soon, however, as it does, and the course of the ball begins to change, the direction of the dotted line T begins to change likewise. It follows the course of the ball around, and the more it curves, the more this resultant force tends to make it curve. And this continues until the ball has lost either its twist or its forward motion. Having established the fact that a ball will curve in the direction of least resistance, it is necessary to alter the direction of the axis of rotation in order to change the direction of the curve. Thus, if in the cut first given, the ball went rotating in the direction of DHI instead of IHD, the ball would curve not towards F, but to the right. So also if the axis of rotation is horizontal instead of vertical, and the greatest resistance is made to come on top, the ball will curve downward or drop, and in the same way by imparting such a twist that the resistance falls on some intermediate point, the ball may be made to take any of the combination curves known as the outward drop, the rising out curve, and so on, through the entire category. End of chapter 14 End of Baseball, How to Become a Player by John Montgomery Ward